Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Father, we come before you, our Father. And Lord, teach us to be obedient children like Jesus was to you. And teach us to be loving parents as you are to us. This is a work of your Spirit in our lives. And we need it desperately. Our society needs it desperately, Lord God. We just are in deep need of you. In the name of Jesus, amen. As we've already mentioned, uh, I always repeat kind of what we've already been through, but Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul has talked to the church. He's saying, this is who you are in Christ Jesus. That is so important to know who we are in Christ Jesus, what Christ has done for us, because each of us works out of our identity. Who we believe we are determines what we do. And in chapter 4, he shifts gears and begins to exhort them to, and to us to begin to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. To walk worthy of the calling. The idea is that we are to be impacted by what Jesus has done from us and who we are to such a great a degree that it just it flows out in our actual actions towards one another and towards the world. Amen? James said in the second chapter of his letter, beginning in verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, I'm saved, but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not, if it is not accompanied uh, with action, it's dead. If we're saved, it's going to be demonstrated in how we live towards one another. Amen? And that's, the whole, that's what it means to be a Christian, is to live out what Christ has done for us. To allow the Holy Spirit to take over us and change us, to put off the old life and to put on the new life. Amen? And this will be manifest in obedience to God and love for one another. And that's where we're headed as a church. And so last week in chapter 5, Paul explains how faith works out, how our proclaimed love for the Lord works out in our our practical lives. And one of the most practical ways that our faith is worked out is in the context of relationships. And the main relationships we have are family. Amen? Our family. So in, in, in chapter verse, uh, so verse 21 of chapter 5, Paul says, Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ, out of respect for Christ and what he's done. When we look at the family, a family that is born again, there should be a submission towards one another within our relationships. That is just a key identifier that we've been born again, that Christ is working in our families. There's a submission happening in our lives. This means that within our roles, husbands and wives, children and parents, and even employers and employees, because the context we'll get to is most people lived within a slave master society back then, and that was within the context of a home. So how do, how do we live out our faith? 
within our roles, there should be a mutual submission one unto another. It begins with husbands and wives. Verse 22 of chapter five, uh, 5. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And so as we spoke last week, wives are to submit to their husbands and everything just as they are submitted to the Lord. Now, I've already clarified, everything does not mean being beaten and all that stuff. When it contradicts the Lord, you contradict your husband. Amen? <clears throat> and then, to the husbands, the Lord commands us through Paul. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And I know that will be the most, uh, most sought message out of all time uh, from this church. I just know that... Uh, you know, Google Analytics is going to go crazy as people are going to want to find out how to submit to one another. <laughs> husbands and wives. But, but the beauty is that husbands are to love sacrificially their wives, and the picture is clearly seen in how Christ loved the church. Amen? <clears throat> and he laid down his life that she might have life. He gave her the words of God and he set her aside as precious and holy, and he left his throne of comfort to be with her, to love her, to teach her, to show her that where, where he is, she may be also ultimately. So husbands, we have the same responsibility, similarly, to lead our wives spiritually, pray for them, to teach them the word, to sacrificially lead them and lay down our lives uh, for them, and to bring them to worship, bring them to church, bring them into fellowship. We are to be leading in these things in our family. Don't cower away from them. We are the instigators in these. And how many of you have to work on this uh, a little bit more? Paul wouldn't be saying this if, if we didn't, uh, myself included. But to provide for them spiritually as well as materially. If you don't provide for them or your family material, material, materially, you're no worse than the pagan, right? So sometimes you can just be spiritual, not take care of material things. And so Paul says, if you're spiritual, you're going to be responsible with the material. But when we see a husband who loves his wife like Christ loved the church, and a wife submitted to her husband as, Christ, as the church is to Christ, it displays a picture of being united, those two becoming one flesh. And that is what the picture of marriage is. And that is why we defend the definition of marriage. And that is why we proclaim what marriage is, because it's a picture of Christ in the church. That is what we are to proclaim, this mutual submission, this mutual love for one another. Definitely roles within the relationship, just as Jesus was submitted to the Father, and the Father loved the Son, just as, just as we are submitted to Christ, and the Father loves us, so husbands are loving their wives, and wives are submitted to their husbands. And now we move on from that, and Paul turns to one of the outcomes of a loving family, a loving relationship between a husband and wife, children. Amen? God just doesn't want to keep that goodness between you. He wants to spread it, multiply it. And children are the plan of God for men and women to get married and to love each other and to have kids. That is God's plan from the very beginning. We know there's a big mess, and I'm not going to go into all the messes, but that's his design, amen? Genesis 1.28, God made man and woman and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. How do you like that as a command? Get married and have sex and have kids. Do it a lot. 
I mean, that's God. That, isn't he cool? That's his plan. But it's within that context of that loving relationship only. Amen? It says, be fruitful. God designed men and women, uh, with very few exceptions, to get married and have kids. There are exceptions, obviously. But children are a gift and a reward from the Lord. You know, the society we live in can often look at children as a burden and just, you know, a tax write-off or whatever. Uh, we can in many ways. Or we can take it the other end and, and we worship them. We elevate them to where they shouldn't be, right? So we, we're kind of messed up. But children are a reward from the Lord, a gift. In Psalm 127, chapters, uh, verses 3 through 5, the psalmist wrote, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man who has a quiver full of them. Amen. God's design for husbands and wives is to have a family. Now, obviously, I said there's physical limitations and other things, but in general, people are to get married, have kids. At least that should be the order, right? But what is the role of children within the family, and what is the role of the parent within the family? No one handed you a manual and said, this is what you do. We teach people how to do math. We teach people how to do everything. But in school, no one teaches you how to be a parent. No one teaches you how to be a kid. It just doesn't, it's not there. Everything but, right? It's kind of an implied thing. The Lord has a direct teaching, and the emphasis in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, after Paul exhorts husbands and wives to love and submit to one another, what does he do? He then turns to the children, and he says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. This is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with the promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. God gives children two, a two-pronged command here. Obey your parents and honor them. Our children's role in the family is to obey us and respect us. Boom, job description. Obey and respect, obedience and respect. They're, and they're to fall under rank, under mom and dad. They're to be under their leadership and learn from them with respect. I love how God anticipates a child's response to this command. What happens when you tell your kids a command? What do they say? Why? Why? Why do I have to obey? Why do I have to respond, you know, respect you? I mean, it's just a natural thing of a kid. Why? God follows up his command with a reason and an incentive. A reason and an incentive. Parents take note. Grandparents take note. A reason. Because it's right. Because it is right. It's fitting. It is God's design for you, child. That is what is good. It is what is fitting. It is what you're all to be about. Obedience to your mom and your dad. I love that. I love that reason. It's right. The word for child here is offspring. It doesn't mean infant. It's talking about children under the authority of their parents who can start to understand when they tell them what to do. All the way, that could be a teenager. It can be, you know, a, a three-year-old, a four-year-old. You know what I'm saying? That's the idea behind this. We're not talking about uh, little infants. 
but it's right for children to obey their parents. It's fitting. When you see a child who's disobedient, when you see them berserking against their parents, you grieve for that child, right? You go, man, what is going on? It's just unfitting. It's not right. It's these poor parents, or man, those parents are doing something wrong if the kids are older. You know what I'm saying? Okay, just me. Just when I look at my own kids, you know? It's wrong. But when you see a child who's obedient to their parents and and respectful, you think, wow, something right is going on there. This is right. It's fitting. It's good. You want to know why? Because God created it to be that way. That's what he designed children in the context, the relationship of family to do is to be obedient. And I love that. It's right to respect and obey your parents. Just as it is right for a wife to submit to a husband and a husband to love his wife, when you see that happening in the right context, when you see a husband who does not love his wife, what do you do? You just go, this is unfitting. It does not work. It's not right. When you see a wife who is unsubmitted to his husband, she's just undermining his every move, belittling him, trying to take the reins. It is unfitting. But when you see that being played out correctly and in love and respect towards one another, you go, wow, this is right. This is good. Nobody's belittled. Nobody's demeaned. Everybody's lifted up. Everybody's built up. Just the same way a child is to obey and to respect their parents. It's just like that picture of the father and the son and and the church and the Lord. It's right when we see that. But, you know, it's not just to say it's right. How many of you go, just do it because it's right? How does that work well for you? How's that working, parents? Do it because I said, because it's right. I try that often. The Lord tries it with me often. No, the Lord gives incentives. Incentives. Giving incentives is, is good parenting. Did you know that? It's not bribing, it's incentives. And notice the, 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 the incentive that Paul quotes for kids here. He quotes the fifth commandment in verses two and three. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So this is a promise, kids. Here we go. And here's the promise. So that it may go well with you and that you may have enjoyed long life on earth. The incentive to obey and respect your parents is that they will let you live. <laughs> You think I'm joking. What is he quoting? He's quoting the law. And 1,500 years earlier, it got serious. Deuteronomy chapter 21, 18 through 21, when Moses is recounting the law of God to the people before he's going to go, they're going to go into the promised land under Joshua, says, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and, and his mother and will not listen to them when they are disciplined, his father and mother shall take hold of him, bring him to the elders of the gate of this town, and they shall say to the elders, the son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey us, he's a glutton, he's a drunkard, and then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. For Israel to survive, for Israel to be a witness, for there to be a civil society, it is all hinged upon the family. It is all hinged upon obedience 
and respect from children. And by the way, fathers and mothers training their children. That is why we obey law. God designed it that way. And back there under the old covenant, God had a specific plan. Praise the Lord, he repeated the, the command for children, but what did he did? He left out the execution of the breaking of the command. Praise the Lord, amen? Because we'd have, the church would be more empty. I mean, we, we wouldn't be here. <coughs> I mean, I wouldn't, you know? I mean, it's just. So obedience and respect to their parents is of great importance to God. It's the proof of love and God within children and proof that parents love their kids. Now there's exceptions, we know that. But it's the foundation of any society that wants to be blessed because children who learn to obey their parents and respect them usually go on to obey laws of the land and respect authority. The ultimate authority is God. And you get into Romans 13, and he says, you know what, if you obey and respect authority, you don't have any problems in general. They're not going to come and bug you. But you better fear if you're that person who Dis, who, who disobeys the law and disrespects because God has put people in place to execute justice against people like that. How does that fit into what's going on all over our country? Have fun with that. But we see a breakdown of the family. Those who do not obey and do not respect their parents are prone to not obey the laws and not respect authority and are a pain in the back of society and ultimately rebellion towards the authority above all. I'm not saying there are not injustices, great injustices within our culture. Do not hear me say that. Believe me, there are times our nation is built on a great injustice. So, but I'm talking about the basic principle of parents teaching their children to obey and respect. Our our society has raised a generation who do not obey and do not respect anything short of their own desires. And this will compound in years to come. The Christian family is the preserving influence in our nation. You're it. Grandparents, parents, God's desire that it would go well with children, that they would enjoy a long life here on earth. When you are disobedient and rebellious, you usually die young. You usually have havoc in your life. You usually have much pain. Amen? Rebels out there? So to children in here and to your children, obedience and respect is not an option. It's a command from the Lord. It's a command from the Lord. And you will be blessed when you obey it. Now Paul speaks to the head of the authority over children in the Christian home. Fathers, verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Yeah, exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training, in the instruction of the Lord. Parenting can be extremely difficult at times. Extremely difficult at times. Teaching children to obey and respect us as parents is not easy work. Anyone? It brings out the best in us at times. Very few. (laughs) What does it do? It puts us in a pressure cooker. And boy, circumstances can reveal how self-centered and how selfish we are. Amen? And Paul knows this, and because it's not easy, speaking to fathers who are the head over discipline in this area in the house, right? If the father's not in the home, then that goes to the mother. 
But he's speaking to the society. They understood this. The the person who's in charge of teaching their children to obey and to respect is the father. He is over the home, and he says what to them? Paul talks to him. He has a keen observation about their nat- the natural inclination of fathers that they, that we, have a proclivity to exasperate our children. Guys tend to get frustrated and angry. Anyone? Now, I don't want to make you moms feel left out. I know you guys get frustrated and angry too, so I just wanted to make sure you felt included. But Paul is speaking to fathers because we're prone to provoke anger in our children through our anger. This is not an isolated incident. Paul, in speaking to Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is telling him, he says, the emphasis, one of the emphasis in the church when we get together should be prayer. We should be praying. And as he talks in prayer, he says, first of all, I urge you, Timothy, as you're teaching and as you're te- saying what church should be about and as you're forming your services, I, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, kings and so on. So we're going to be praying for Obama. We're going to be praying for administration. We're going to be praying for the president, our leaders and all that stuff. And what is our tendency when we, when we don't like the way kings act? This is why Paul says in verse 8, Therefore I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Our tendency is not to pray, but it's to go be angry and to make it happen. Anyone? We don't want to do things spiritually. We want to do things physically. So we want to put the emphasis on the flesh. So when we see wars and rumors of wars and all these things, our tendency is to go ahead and go, let's lock and load, and we buy all the guns we got, and we're ready. And the Lord says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not lock and load. You can't touch them. You pray them. They're more powerful than anything you've got in your hand. I'm not saying there isn't a time for self-defense because love protects. Correct? But what I am saying is that we have a tendency as men to go towards anger instead of what Paul is talking about here, which we'll get into. But it's in the same way that fathers tend not to, to parent spiritually. But as the new King James says, you provoke your children to anger. The word provoke and anger, you provoke your children to anger, they're the same words. You anger your children to anger. Don't be angry with your kids. It'll make them angry kids. And then angry adults. And I've seen this pattern in my time pastoring and parenting. You know, I've met very few fathers who have anger who have not been provoked sometimes by their fathers or their mothers at one time or another. There's a pattern that gets pushed on there. I'm not saying that's all the time, but it's quite often. It's a common thread there. Men must repent and be filled with the Spirit who gives us love and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And so Paul says, fathers, put off that old way. That's the old man's way. Put on the new way. Put on Christ and glorify God in our parenting. Amen. How many of us need that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Yes. Yes, we need you, Lord. Will you help us? Bring us life. Amen? How many wives need that out of your husbands? Oh, gosh, would that please happen? 
Yes. The Lord wants to do that in us and through us. Amen? He wants to. He wants us to have it, and He will. Notice Paul says, do this, be this, which tells us what? The enemy might tell us, you don't have the ability to do that because of blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry, you got a new identity, chapters 1 through 3. You now can, and now you're called to act upon it. It takes time to train, amen? This is we're training our children in obedience. We're in obedience to the Lord. And so, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, no longer steal, but now give. No longer cut down, but now build up. So don't be angry. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So here Paul gives fathers, and really moms too, their parenting job description. Parenting is under these two main objectives from the Lord, okay? Training and instruction. Training and instruction, or better defined from the Greek, discipline and instruction. Discipline and instruction. My role with my kids is to discipline and instruct them in the Lord. And children are to obey and respect. That is what we are to do in the Lord. Now, God has given the Father the leadership roles we've already talked about to make sure that the family is trained and instructed in the Lord, and that includes specifically that children are brought up in correction and instruction in the Lord. This is simply teaching your children the Word of God and how to live it out. We're to teach our children the Word of God and to live it out and to model it. Amen? This is a serious responsibility before God to present our homes and to teach our children to obey the Word of God. There are devastating consequences to our families and our society when we fail. We can see havoc in our society because men are not in the home. In Washington Times article by Luke uh, Rosiak entitled, Fathers Disappeared from American Household Across America, it says, Nicole Hawkins, three daughters, have matching glittery boots. But none has the same father. Each has uniquely colored ties in her hair, but none has a dad present in her life. And as another single mother or on Sumner Road decked her row, uh, her row house yeah, her row house stooped with Christmas lights and a plastic Santa. Mrs. Hawkins recalled that her middle child's father has never spent a holiday or a birthday with her. In her neighborhood in southeastern Washington, one in ten children live with both parents. One in ten children live with both parents, and 84% live only with their mother. In every state, the portion of families where children have two parents, rather one, has dropped significantly over the past decade. And even as the country added 160,000 families with children, the number of two-parent households decreased by 1.2 million. 15 million U.S. children, or one in three, live without a father. And nearly 5 million live without a mother. In 1960, just 11% of American children lived in homes without fathers. America is awash in poverty and crime and drugs and other problems, but more than perhaps anything else, it all comes down to this, said Vincent DiCaro, vice president of the National Fatherhood Initiative. Deal with absent fathers, and the rest follows. People look at a child in need and poverty and failing in school and ask, what can they do to help? But, we, but what we do is ask, why does a child need help in the first place? And the answer is often because it's because of a lack of a responsible, involved father. Now, I know there's tons of circumstances, but in general, we have failed as men in our society because we have gone away from the Word of God. 
We've gone after self. We've become lovers of self and lovers of pleasure. What we want. We want to buy our trucks and our cars and all the stuff. And we take care of our stuff, but we don't take care of our children physically, let alone spiritually. And we are reaping it. And I'm just saying the judgment in general, please, I know there's exceptions to everything. I can't go into every single detail, can I? And exceptions, well, you don't understand. And I understand. I came from a broken home, from a Christian family. So I know what I speak of. On the one hand, the family is decimated by children not being discipled or instructed. We're reaping that as a society, are we not? But even when families are together and they are Christian, there's a tendency oftentimes to neglect the call that the Lord has put upon us as parents to discipline and instruct our kids in the Lord. And see how that's just way uphill? We discipline and instruct in other things, but the primary responsibility of the parent in the Christian home as, as believers is to teach your children the word of God and to live it out. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, Joshua, as the father and leader of his household and of, of a nation almost, he says, now fear the Lord. He's talking to the fathers and the families and the clans around him. He says, now fear the Lord and serve them with all faithfulness. What if I walked up to you and said, Fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Dads, fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Be all in for the Lord. Not in a haughty way, but as a challenging, manly man, man type of way. This is who we are to be, this is what we are to do. Amen? This is what God designed you to do. He says, Throw away the gods of your ancestors, turn off the TV. <laughs> whatever you put in the thing, whatever your gods of your ancestors are. Worship beyond, they worship beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, meh, I want to just, nah, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Make a decision. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the god of the Amorites in whose land you're living, but as for me, <coughs> Excuse me, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A dad stands up for his family and says, we are going to serve the Lord. And the emphasis is serve. We're going to let, it means that he is first in our lives, in my family. Amen? Joshua, dad, he made a stand and directed his family into the service of the Lord. And as fathers, we're called by God to raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so the two things we do as parents is discipline and instruct. And God desires that our children grow up to glorify him, that they have a, cl- a Christ-centered worldview, a biblical worldview. They would learn to love and deny self for the better of others. And that's modeled in our, in our marriages and it's modeled in our families. And it's a proclamation to the world. Now, make no, di- make no mistake, it is God who takes his word by his spirit. You can't legislate that into the heart of a kid. God is the best, kid, the best parent with most wayward kids. Amen? I, just, I think that's an amazing statement. God is the best parent with the most wayward kids. It is God, ultimately, who has to take the word and infuse it into their hearts, and by His Spirit, change them from the inside out. 
but we are called to mold and shape and direct them towards him. And by that way, that implies that we can mold and shape them and direct them away from him. He's charged us to discipline and instruct them. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, uh, the way you train up a child will show up in their adulthood. It's not saying this is a promise. It's saying what you put into them, how you direct them, what they're influenced by, what you do, how you direct them, it's going to come out later in life. It's a heavy calling, huh? What are we training our children in? When we train them to obey the word of God, it will have an impact of what they become. God's plan for parenting will bear, bear fruit. But teaching them to obey and respect is not easy. How many of you think it's easy? Raise your hand and leave. <coughs> it's not easy. Oh my goodness. Children are not naturally obedient and respectful, are they? It's for the same reasons that wives have difficulty submitting to husbands and husbands have submitting, their, to, uh, have submitting to and loving their wives because we're sinful. We've got sin infused into us from the time of birth. We're, we're reprobate, reprehensible beings. We're self-centered. Let me prove the point. When a child is born, aren't they the cutest thing? You know why you think they're the cutest thing? Who do they look like? They look like you. No, but they are cute, right? I mean, they're cute and they're cuddly, and I love that about children. I mean, they're just sweet, and you get to hug, you know, coo, they coo and all that great stuff. I just, I love that. The Lord loves children, but when a child is born, make no mistake, they are selfish and self-centered from the get-go. They scream, they live for their own comfort, they don't share anyone else's pain, they scream for their own. They don't care about anything going on in the family, they don't pay attention to anyone else, they are preoccupied with themselves, they're little centerlings. You don't spend the first years telling your children, yes, why yes. 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 Oh, yeah. What do we say? No. 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 We say no, right? Why? Because they are bent towards disobedience, just like us. We're just more refined. Right? You don't have to teach a child disobedience. I want to show you how to disobey today. You really got to get better at this. It's just natural. They are all star sinners. We are all star sinners. And they only get better at it by watching us. No, we have to teach them and obey, we have to discipline. Their lives are about them. They have no patience. They live for themselves, and this is because they're depraved. And children who grow up undisciplined, children who, grow up don't, who don't obey, they grow up to be big children. And then they get into big relationships and do the same thing that a baby does. They scream and they cry, and it's all about them, and why aren't I getting my way? 
And when things get hard, they leave. Because why? I'm not in it for you. I'm in it for me. Love is about someone else. Love is about laying down. Love is about submitting. Love is about sacrifice. Amen? So they must be taught to obey through various painful lessons. Is that how we learn to obey? Yes. And this varies from child to child. Some children only take a little pain to learn obedience in, in, other, in, 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 in one area, you know, in some others, it takes a little bit more, let's say. How many of you were one of those very compliant children? That's cool. I'm, I'm really happy for you, Fred. <laughs> Christine. <clears throat> and you other straight-A students in here. Okay, over there. there you the rest of us, <laughs> pain and suffering bends our will. Amen? spankings and the rod and all these things that society says are, are wrong. If you just capitulate to everything the child wants, it'll turn out great. It's a lie. Some children, just the disapproving thought, just the thought of the disapproval, the broken relationship between a mom and dad, they're just like, oh gosh. They're just like, I can't handle that, Okay. But other kids, they're just, boom. And God loves them both. And God knows how to discipline both. You know. You might be one of those people. You know, I look at Abraham. Or look at Noah. The Lord told Noah, go build an ark. What did he do? Built an ark. He said, build it like this. He built it like that. Abraham, same thing. Abraham, come on. He was fearful. But then you get to, you know, Jacob or, yeah, Jacob. What a booger. Conniving, tricking people and all that stuff, but God worked it out. You get to, later on, you get to Joseph, prideful. Hey, guys, I got a dream. You're all going to bow down to me. What do you think about that? Really gifted. (laughs) It's really gifted. Some of you guys are really gifted. So what does God do with a gifted, prideful person? He puts them in jail. They just hang out in jail until they're ready. And then he just gets promoted within jail until that day where he finally goes, you know what, I can't do this. Even though I'm gifted, I got the dream, I got the skills, all that stuff that God's given me. But God will give you the answer. The moment he did that, God's training in his life, he went out from prison, he went into the palace in one day. But without that discipline, without that thing, he would have never have been the person God had called him to be. Pride would have destroyed that nation. Amen? They must be taught to obey from painful lessons. Some, you know, in Psalm 51.5 speaks of the depravity we all share from conception. Sure, I was, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. An undisciplined child expresses this self-centeredness exceedingly. It's because they're naturally sinful and they're naturally prone to act upon their passions and selfishness that God calls us to discipline them and instruct them in Him. But not only because they're born sinful and they have this thing going on inside, we've got a society around us that's sinful. So there's the inner influence within our children, and there's also the outer influence. This is why it's difficult. It used to be we had a society around us that had Christian morals, and so you could just let them be ungoverned, and the society's morals would be Christian, and it would support that. It is no longer that way. If you think it is, you're in 
Disneyland. I don't know what in the world. It's just not. Our children are in a highly enticing sin culture. Our children are overexposed to younger and younger ages to sexual sin, which is glorified in our culture, in media, in TV, in social media, in the internet, and through friends. And our kids are exposed to warped patterns of thinking at such a young age. They're not equipped to process these things yet in a right way. And the culture is pressing it upon them. It's playing upon their depravity that's within them. And unless they have been disciplined and trained in the ways of the Lord to resist that and to recognize it, and parents are processing life with them, not delegating it out to whoever else, but you are involved in their life, you take the command seriously that I am to instruct my children in the Lord. When they go see something, you're talking to them about that. An interaction happens, you're talking about them. We are called to brainwash our kids, not them. We indoctrinate. God has called us to do that. And they go, oh, well, that's like, you're just too protective. It's like, it's evil out there. It's evil. And it's also evil in here. Amen? TV is almost totally depraved. Murder, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, hate, slander, greed, pride, cheating, uh, malice, violence, bitterness, rage, theft, ungratefulness, emphasis, emphasis on the outward beauty. All these are glorified and glamorized. Commercials, they teach us to be unsatisfied and to be satisfied material, only in material consumerism. Obey your thirst. I'm loving it. You need to have this. It plays on us. It's all around us. It's pulling on us. It's pulling on our kids. Our education system, K through college, in general, not always, in general, is becoming increasingly hostile towards the Lord and God. Christmas programs. I mean, Gary was just talking about it the other day, a Christmas program. No mention of God, no mention of Jesus. It's all about happy holidays. And at the risk of offending people, you know? Our government is redefining values in family and is dictating what is good and what is not good for our children in contradiction to the Word of God. Our daughters can go, they can go, to, they can go to high school and they can't get a Coke out of the machine, yet they can go get birth control without you knowing it. How do you like that? I have to ask, who's raising our children? Who's training our children? Media is powerful. Imaging is powerful. Very, very powerful. It affects us. That's why God says you're just supposed to hang out with your wife. You're just supposed to see your wife naked. Because that does something to your brain. God designed it that way. Just that, that's where it's supposed to be. That's where it's good. And yet we expose ourselves to tons of images all over the place that are ungodly, and we don't even know it. We become calloused as a society, as Christians, against these things. I'm not knocking us. I'm just saying, are, are we even open to, to the, the darkness? Or we, have we been so, it's just been put over our eyes to where we can't even see the evil anymore. 
and we accept it and we pull it into our Christian culture. And this is why Jesus walks into the temple and goes, I've made this a temple of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. It's not to make a profit. They didn't think anything was wrong. They thought this was good. Dads and moms, are we processing life with our kids as they encounter the culture? You have to make the decision on on how that works. I'm not going to do that for you. I'm not going to judge you for it. But you have to make the decision on those things. But are you involved in your kids' lives? Are you delegating the responsibility of teaching your children to the television, to the internet, to the neighbor down the street, the kids down the street, to public school, to private school, to Sunday school? Are you delegating that? That's you. The Lord puts that on you. And how you decide to do that through these other things, you'll be held accountable for. Amen? It's quite often the Lord says, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, man, you better have a millstone tied around your neck. It's better for you to have a millstone tied in the depths of the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And we often go, well, I'm not going to do anything to hurt them. Well, it's often what we don't do. Sin of commission and omission, these things. It's often what we don't do, what we fail to do. Dads and moms, it's our calling to discipline them, instruct them in the Lord concerning their inner depravity and the outer depravity of the culture that we would grow to deny self and to love God that we would ultimately, by God's grace, obey and respect Him. That's what we're headed for. And I know this might seem like a daunting task, but the Lord makes the call clear. Teach your children to obey and respect you. The word obey means to get under rank. And as we're consistently teaching to get them under our rank, and to listen, there's going to be times when they really kick against it. And when they really kick against it, I just want to pop in a video and say, see you later, and let it go. We need to hunker down and push through those three difficult weeks of total pain and suffering for our inconvenience so that there will be a harvest of righteousness. No means no. Amen? And we keep bringing them back to no. For how many years? On some things. Eat your vegetables. It's just not an option. It's happening. You can cry. You can complain. It is happening because it's good for you and I love you. Don't settle I know you're tired. I know you're weary. But this is a big calling the Lord's calling you to. Be, just be in the presence of the Lord. Get his power. He'll help you push through. And instead of battling for years over something, you can have it done in a few weeks. If you're consistent, if you're faithful, if you take what the Lord says seriously, some things will drag out. I understand. But we must lovingly discipline them and introduce all kinds of pain and discomfort in their lives until they get under rank. Not in anger, in love. If we fail to do this, we're actually disobeying the Lord. Ending Proverbs 3, 11-12. If you have not read the book of Proverbs to your kids, we're going to start, I'm going to start with John. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. This is a father speaking to his son. Proverbs 3, 
1 through 12 says, uh, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord himself, I'm sorry, the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father delights in his son. If you love your kid, you are going to discipline your kid. Hebrews 12 says, has a lot to say about the matter. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood and, ha- and and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses a son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. If you are not, accept, not disciplined by the Lord, and you are not chastened by the Lord, you are not his son. What is that? What's the implication towards our children? That's someone else's kid. No, our, that is the definition of being a parent. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not a true son or daughter at all. Moreover, we have, <clears throat> we have all had fa- human fathers who disciplined us and, and we respected them for it. See this? How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. No discipline at the time seems pleasant, but painful. Discipline is painful and unpleasant for your kid. It's also probably a little bit for you too, amen? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, this is what we're hoping for. Ready, everybody? Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. That's what we want. Amen? A harvest of righteousness and peace. That's what God wants. It will go well for you. Amen? Lastly, we're to instruct them. Turn off the TV. Start podcasting Christ-centered messages out of the Word. Get involved with a home fellowship or Bible study. Read the Word. Pray it out. Live it out. Start serving with your family. So that's a practical things that can happen, how you live it out, but we teach them the Word of God. Ask a lot of questions from godly people who've gone before you. Amen? Ask a lot of questions. I have no idea how to do this. How did you do this? What does the Word say about it? Make sure what they say goes back to the Word. This is constant. This is not a one and done. But instruct them consistently, systematically, sporadically. When you're sitting at your table, Deuteronomy eleven eighteen says this, fix the words, these words of mine in your hearts, in your minds. Tie them as a symbol on your hands. Bind them on your forehead. That's why Joe Cransley tattooed it on your forehead. Whatever you got to do, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates so that the days, so that your days and the days of your children may be in the land that the Lord swore to give you and your ancestors as many as the days of the heavens are above the earth. Man, are you talking about the Lord in your family? Is it, are you, is it what your family is preoccupied about? about his ways and what he would do and what he thinks about the Seattle Seahawks. What does he think about these things? The Lord, I'm, he's a fisherman. He, I mean, just bring the Lord into everything. The book of Proverbs, we've te- got to teach it to our kids, and this is, this is truly ending here. Proverbs 1.8. 
It's just over and over. He's teaching his son. He says, Proverbs 1.8, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Father, it says, do not forsake it. They are a garland of grace to your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands with you, turn your ear to wisdom, turning your ears to wisdom, and apply your heart to understanding. Indeed, you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as for silver and you search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. He's teaching his son to seek out the Lord as if it was silver and gold. People are willing to bore holes into the earth and have the earth fall upon them so they can grab out something. Teach your kids to seek God like that. Amen. Proverbs 3, 1 through 2, My son, do not forget my teaching, but, command my, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring peace and prosperity. That's what we want for them to have. Long life, prosperity, peace. Keep my commands, son and daughter. I love you. Proverbs 4, 1 through 4, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and again understand uh, uh, and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching, for I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by, to, by my, my mother. And then he taught me. So instruction begins when they're young. Then he taught me, and he said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart, keep my commands, and you will live. Ultimately, we desire that our children have life, and life is found in the Lord and knowing him and obeying him. Amen. Lord, this is a, a heavy and awesome call. It is an awesome blessing to be a parent. A grandparent. Father, we want to respond to your word in obedience and submit to you. And so, Lord, as we venture out and we maybe need to make some corrections or we just, this is encouraging that we are going that direction, will you lead us? Will you train us? Will you show us how to do this? First of all, let us be obedient and respectful of you. So train us, Father. Teach us to be good sons and daughters. And secondly, Lord, help us to take that limited knowledge or whatever we might have and infuse it into our kids' lives. And I know as a parent there are things in the lives of the hearts and minds of the parents this morning and here, you, brothers and sisters, I know the Lord's speaking about things that need to change or things that need to start. Don't be fearful. Don't be fearful of the consequences. Just stand with the Lord and say, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And let the Spirit show you what it is. Just let Him, him speak to you and give you peace as you go and, and read His Word and just do it. And let there be life. Father, we love you, but we want to love you through our actions. So have us. Have your hand upon this generation of children and parents. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.